from Boss Track, it's Her Hype Squad, a show about amazing women who've made incredible strides as leaders in their industry. They're here to support you and your leadership growth, to encourage you and hype you up as part of your Hype Squad. Hello everyone, Michelle Harris here, welcoming you back to another episode that's sure to add a few tools to your leadership toolkit. In this episode of Her Hype Squad with Boss Track, I have the pleasure of bringing you insights from Elizabeth McCauley, the CEO of StartStack. Today's conversation covers quite a bit, from the art of professional resilience to the often underestimated power of intuition. We also talk about the profound significance of time and handling no-win situations. But it's not all business. We also venture into raising chickens and culinary experimentation. And before we jump into our conversation, let me set the stage with a little bit of information about Elizabeth. As the CEO and founder of StartStack, Elizabeth is a results-driven executive, enabling strategy and go-to market for early-stage companies. She is AI-native and excels in developing new markets through use of emerging technologies. She brings extensive experience in nascent markets, industry solution development, marketing, partnerships, and alliances. Elizabeth has a passion for developing new markets and is on a mission to broadly enable entrepreneurship through a new business design. StartStack is founded for the founders. If you enjoy my conversation with Elizabeth, be sure to subscribe to our channel and help more people find us by sharing this episode with others or by leaving a review. Or subscribe to our weekly newsletter filled with things we found that we're excited about and were inspired by, along with valuable leadership advice to watch, listen to, or read. It's a little bit of joy for your inbox each Monday. You can subscribe at www.thebosstrack.com forward slash weekly joy. Now, without further delay, here's my conversation with Elizabeth McCauley. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining us on Her Hype Squad with Boss Track. We're excited, or I'm excited, to talk to you today and ready to get into our conversation. Yeah, Michelle, thank you so much for having me on your show. I would love for you to start out the conversation by giving the audience a little bit of an idea of who you are um, in, in your own words. I think about myself, I, I call myself a dreamer, thinker, and tinker. Um, I've been in the technology industry um, as a non-technical business leader for, gosh, 20 years. I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, very close to the airport by design. Um, personally, um, I'm a mom. I've got a, a, a daughter in art school, and I have a son in high school who wants to go to cooking school. So I have kids who are creatives. I, I like to garden, spend time outside. I raise chickens. I, I think I'm a master hobbyist as well. So I um, like to try a little bit of everything. And I think I've also done that throughout my career. So I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you for that intro. Um, but I've seen quite a few videos of chickens lately on my Instagram feed. So it's been very interesting. Are you Are you involved in recording your chickens at all or is it more just a <laughs> no the, the the backyard chicken culture I think is fully taken off I think I've been doing this for about uh, 10 years and um, I, I am a member of the backyard chicken forum because sometimes you know if there's a one of them gets sick or mm. I had one got, got attacked by a hawk actually um, her name's Lucky Chicken and I actually did take her to the vet to get about 20 stitches on the back of her neck. I'm Aww. surprised she lived, but she's about eight years old now. So yeah, I've got, I, I, I've learned a lot about animal care just by tapping into this network of people who love raising chickens. It's, it's, it's an interesting little hobby I have. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, not that we want to talk about chickens the whole time, but <laughs> they do have a, a unique personality. I never realized they have. They, they do. They do. They're very interesting creatures and um, they know their names. They'll hang out. They're very tame. And it's, it's a, you know, getting the security right around your chicken coop is really important because they're very susceptible to predators. So, you know, we've, we've learned along the way as well, but it's, it's, it's not as difficult as raising bees. So um, I, I, I tried to do that one year and my bees absconded and they said, we're, we're out of here. This is not a great place to live. They had gotten Aww. attacked by ants 
And so raising bees is very, very difficult. So I'll try that again at some point, but um, I've got a lot going on right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know what we talked to, we talked a little while ago about resilience and moving through, excuse me, moving through changes in our lives. And we talk about that as the uh, seasons of change. And you had provided a great description of what that means to you. And I'd love for you to share that with the audience, just to give them a little background on our discussion kind of as a setup. Yeah, I think we talk about these big words, resilience and growth, and, you know, they're just master words that have this well of meaning. It means different things for different people. But when I think about seasons of change as it respects to career, we have this stuff we go through in our life. We There's weddings and babies and divorces and caregiving. And even when people don't make those kinds of family decisions, you know, there's friends and relationships, all the things that we go through in our life throughout our career. And those events, call them, are really different for everybody. But those are things that we manage through and two, while we're also managing our careers. Mm -hmm. And so I think that um, having an intentional conversation about, you know, seasons of life and career as they intersect, I think is really important because having babies and getting married is all fun and cute, um, but going through a divorce is not, mm -hmm. you know, being a caregiver is not really something people want to talk about openly as their career persona, even, even kind of going through incredibly difficult situations in work where you might be in a highly toxic political environment or you're working on a project that you absolutely know will fail, you know, and, and also at the same time doing whatever it is you're doing in your life personally and then managing those boundaries appropriately. This kind of stuff is really hard. And it's not a lot, um, there's not a lot of resources out there for people who haven't been through these big life experiences before and they really frankly don't know what to do. Um, so I, I think it's important to have a community with a lot of openness about these really challenging topics. Um, so, you know, there's a way to think about it and process it and plan and figure out how to get through it and how to do these things that are complicated on their own. And you mix in career and it's, it becomes, I think, really difficult for people sometimes. Yeah. Would you mind sharing maybe a change that you went through in life or that had an impact on your career in either a positive or, or a negative way? A, a personal change? Poor personal or career, you know, whatever, as you just defined, um, yeah. it changes. I think when my mom um, passed away, that was a, a really interesting experience. And it was interesting for a couple of ways. I had been selected to be part of um, um, IBM's Corporate Service Corps. And so this this opportunity was an incredible opportunity um, there's, you know, this, this design was they select teams, teams go to pre-emerging markets, everybody from a different country going to a different country, small teams, about 10 people or less. Mm. And you apply at the time they had this program and, and people applied it was highly competitive. It was an international stretch assignment, essentially. And they took people from different roles and kind of all put them together and say, okay, this is your team. This is where you're going. This is when you're leaving and you're gone into a, this new job for about a month and a half or so. There's three months of pre-work, three months of post-work. So it's not an insignificant amount of work, but while you're in country, you're really dedicated to that work, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so that, that opportunity is, is awesome. At the same time, my mom, she was living with my parents lived in, in Florida. I live in Dallas, Fort Worth. And she was going through her, her season of, I don't want to call it a season. That sounds terrible, 
but she was going through her fight with breast cancer that had been going on for, I don't know, seven, eight years. And um, it was really difficult because I called her and it's like, what if you die? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little choked. No, no. Take your time. It was, uh, it was very difficult. And she said, you have to go. And so um, I told my manager, what if my mom dies? And they said, we'll put you on a plane wow. and we'll get you home. And yeah. it was just, it was a really, really difficult time. And what was amazing about it is when it came back, I'm sorry, I didn't really mean to. It's no, so I shouldn't have started talking about this. Um, I met a lot of other people who also in their career had gone through something like this. And it was a lot because um, I was the person in my family that took care of everything. And I sat with my mom and she planned her funeral. Mm -hmm. And we did that together. And it was amazing. It was really, really amazing because um, we shared that last three weeks together. And I would never, ever take that time back. And so what was hard about that is when it came home, I knew something was like, I knew something was wrong. And I told my manager, hey, I just got back from Turkey. I know I've been gone for a month and a half but I need to take time off mm -hmm. and I, I'm going to need to go be with my mom and I'll let you know what's going on when I get there. And I could have said, I got to catch up on work. I could have said, I can't go right now because I've been gone out of my job for a month and a half in another country and just coming back and reintegrating into, you know, society when you've been living in a, a place that's thousands and thousands of miles away from home, like that's a whole thing on its own. It's just to do that. Right. And my gut said, you got to go be with your mom. And I did that. And it was a very, very, very important decision. And I didn't realize it at the time until years later when I have people in my work, in my life, you know, it's like, you're not going to get that time back. Yeah. You got to go, you got to go do that. You know, whatever it is going on at work, it can wait. And you got to go do that thing because you're never, ever getting that time back. And I know people talk about, well, I miss my kids dance class or the, the play and those kinds of things. And I think this is really hard for people to discern what is really, really, really important and what is, you know, what are those things that are like, okay, I can't do that and it's going to be okay anyway. Mm -hmm. I had a, a leader one time and he talked about um, glass balls and rubber balls. Have you heard that before? Yeah. And I'd love for you to share it. Yeah. He was an amazing leader. Mm -hmm. And he would say, and you've got balls that you're going to drop and they're going to bounce. And you've got balls that are going to drop and they're going to break. And I think that's part of our growth journey. As we're really um, becoming more mature and discerning about our choices and decisions and everything is a choice mm -hmm. you know everything has a consequence and some consequences are greater than others and that visual of glass balls and rubber balls are you know that's for me i can look and like okay this decision like i gotta drop this ball or yeah. i don't even need to carry this ball anymore i just gotta get rid of it all together and so we're managing this um, this complexity, and I think that there's a there's a way to think about it, and it's very individual, very personal. Um, that's my thought on that. 
I, I love the way you put that with the rubber balls versus the glass balls. And, and you mentioned missing a dance class. And I know there are, are a lot of things to weigh. Like, am I missing the dance class because of something critical and important at work? Or am I missing it because it's something that can be put off till tomorrow. So, you know, you're making those choices, but at the same time, I think there's an overall picture of, you know, of course, if you're in a place where you're missing all the dance classes, that's a problem. But if you mm-hmm. have to miss one for something that's critical, I mean, those are kind of those judgment calls that people need mm-hmm. to make. Right. And I mean, think, um, you know, as women who choose to be moms or you know, whatever our responsibility is around family and our choices with that, there's nothing but guilt that goes with it. You know, (laughs) it's like you feel guilty for working, you feel guilty for not working. Maybe you don't, I don't know, but there's all this judgment that surrounds people's individual choices around how to conduct themselves, their life, their family. And somehow we feel like we have to ascribe to someone else's guidelines about what we should be doing. And it's taken me a bit of time to get comfortable in my own skin that I just doing my own thing. And I'm sorry, you don't agree with it. And I'm sorry, you think I should be doing something else. And yes, I absolutely am the mom that's going to forget the PTA shirt for whatever for the bus trip. But I guarantee I know the mom who does think about that. And I have a relationship with that person, call them and say, Hey, like I dropped the ball on this. Can you help me out? Mm-hmm. So like, I, I think this guilt thing around what we should be doing versus what we are doing, you know, let go of that because it's just, we just can't put energy that way. It doesn't serve us well. Yeah. I so, I, I so agree with that. And I, I wish that's like one thing we could just push through the the microphone or the speakers where people are listening to to really take that to heart and to use that philosophy and apply it to your career and life earlier rather than later yeah. because it is so true it's like you really do end up coming to that conclusion conclusion later in your career and life but mm-hmm. it would be so helpful to have that mentality early on i think for our mental well-being and for and for our success. Yeah, I I think social media is I think it puts a lot of pressure on people. And things mm-hmm. we talk about, you know, you know, they used to say like, keep your eyes on your own paper. <laughs> right. And I think social media, it's very easy to look at someone else's career path or journey or whatever it is they're doing. And to not really fully understand that it's unhelpful for us to compare our own journey with someone else's. Mm. What's like, you know, you should be a director at this point, you should be a VP at this point. And why aren't you setting your sights on being a CEO or whatever? It's like everybody has their own journey. And I think it's really easy for people to, to compare what they should be doing compared to what everyone else is doing. And there is lots of things that, that we don't know about other people. Yeah. And um, it's just good to keep your eyes on your own paper. Yeah, it's so true. I think I spoke with somebody recently about, you might think that the grass is greener, but it actually might be AstroTurf. So it's, <laughs> I, I love how she put that. So um, can I, can I ask you when you came back and asked or said, you know, I need to take this time have you had people ask you or could you offer maybe some advice for people that are a little scared to have a conversation like that with their boss, how to approach that conversation? Yeah, I think, I think it really depends on what it's about. Mm. I, you know, I, I remember, um, I, my daughter's 20. I can't believe that she's 20, but I distinctly remember dropping her off at daycare six weeks old and crying all the way to work. Yeah, (laughs) That felt awful. And at the time, 20 years ago, the policy was if you had a normal birth, you're back to work in six weeks. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there was family medical leave, but 
I don't know. I can't remember what I can't remember what it was like then, but I just think about now when people take an entire year off or six months off or whatever. And I think, wow, that's just, I, I can't even remember what that would have been like. Uh, Cause I don't think that was a choice for me at the time. And so the point of that is, you know, knowing the environment, hopefully there's good relationships with your leadership team and those kinds of things, but companies have different cultures. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what makes it hard to sort of ascribe some standard for how to handle something because I've worked in incredible environments where there's a lot of support for working moms and and going through some of the life events that I've been through where it's a people first type of culture. And I've also worked in environments that is not, not about people at all. It's about pretty much beating the snot out of people to get things done and not really all that happy about having people at all. So, I mean, it's, it really, I think you've got to read the room. It's the point of all that. Read the room and then figure out what is it that you really need? Because um, taking time that feels maybe a bit like a luxury, maybe I don't need that much time, but then maybe I really do. And if I really do, then what are my options as an employee to be able to take the time that I really do need? And I've seen people that have gone through very difficult personal circumstances where family medical leave was absolutely important. And they took that time to go take care of what they needed to do. They came back when, and, you know, considering that sometimes depending on the circumstance that someone's going through, it's better to take that time and to, and to have that space than to bring all that to work because that can be very devastating for people. And so if, if there's a fear about having a conversation about asking for time or, or whatever, um, consider that if you don't, and you bring the baggage to work from whatever's going on personally, that can have very detrimental negative effects to your career and relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine it's kind of like going into a negotiation. You kind of know what your must haves and what, what you can flex on when you go into the conversation. But the important thing is to actually be brave enough to have the conversation if you've determined that that's what you need because you never know and it might not be exactly the outcome that you want but it might turn out to be a situation that is manageable for you and still helps you both sides get to where they need to be yeah like figuring out the Mm win-win you know coming with a win-win and knowing how to negotiate well um that's a balanced negotiation. That's also, it's an art and a skill. It's really important in business. Yeah. Can you, um, I know this is something that you mentioned just in passing when when you were describing um, the change earlier, you mentioned Mm. being on a project that you knew wasn't going to be successful. And it caught my ear because, I mean, I've been in that such situation before. I know a lot of people have been in that situation. Um, have you had a particular experience with that that you could mm-hmm. talk us uh, talk to us about and how to mentally kind of think about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to think about myself as like I'm a fireman, you know, show up in a burning house. I, I've been in so many situations that I was um, I've been asked to lead, manage, whatever, and they're they're not good situations. My first memory of this was taking a role as a first line sales manager and for a a business analytics team and the executive that wanted me to do this role he said look there's going to be two outcomes to this job um you're going to be at zero percent at the end of the year or you're going to be at 200 percent." and there is no middle ground because we've taken all the quota from the previous years and we buried it in this territory and so your job 
is actually to make sure no one quits. We've got to get this team to the next year. And so kind of take a step back and it's like, wow, that's, that's very honest. Mm -hmm. And so what does that mean for me as a leader leading a team that by measurement for people who are salespeople is revenue? What does that mean for them to lead a team where we know that we're going to be 0% or 200%. There's a lot that's out of our control. And I felt like being authentic about that situation was the best path. Because if you're dishonest about what people are going to be experiencing throughout the course of a year and what's on the other side of that, you know, it would be very hard to keep them engaged, right? So it became sort of a a mission to not quit, a mission to, if we do fail, and we very likely could, that we have all these other metrics that show, um, you know, the process of building for the next year, because that really was our job is to build for the next year. And, And sure enough, the following year, it's like, it's a blowout year, but when you work in an enterprise space with giant accounts, the largest companies you can think of in this you know, area of the country I live in, that's that's kind of what we were up against. And nobody quit. How did you, did you have any issues with maintaining your own sense of well-being and your own sense of success through that? Is did you go through any kind of like roller coaster of failure versus success in, in that journey? Not really. Okay. Because um I I like the challenge. I like the I like the risk. Mm-hmm. I'm always taking risk. It's, it's something that I love taking in throughout my career is risk. I'm a creator, I'm a I've started up business units within large companies. Um, it's it's what I do. So, uh, you know, if someone puts me in a job keeping the lights on, I'm bored in five minutes. That's not for me. Yeah, I like to. I'm a builder. I like to build new things. I like to work in spaces that don't exist yet. I like to invent things. That's just that's just part of my fabric. So, with that goes risk, and re- with that goes the understanding that you might fail. But what is failure really? It's something that we kind of assign a title to without critically examining what did we learn mm-hmm. and how do we take that learning to the next place? Because I don't really think about it as failing. I think about it as, as harvesting knowledge for the next adventure. That's always the way I think about it. So, And that could be something as small as a contract and an account. It could be something like a whole job or a territory. It could be a company. So, you know, when something comes to a close, I like to do an exercise where it's a, you know, what did I learn? What do I think the other person learned? There's accountability there to make sure that I think Often in failure, it's easy to, and that's why I don't like the word. It's it's very easy to say, well, this happened and this happened, and you started doing an audit of the events versus the big picture of here are the kinds of things that I'm going to take away from the situation and be brutally honest about why that's the case, whatever it is, without saying, well, this person did this and this company did this, and therefore I didn't have the outcome I wanted. I don't mm-hmm. really go through my inventory that way. Yeah. I, I appreciate that I've seen a lot more articles and conversations about failure in a positive way. And uh, I think it's so important because it's just a part of life. And I was thinking when you said about taking that inventory of what what was what was good and and what where maybe were the challenges? Kim Scott in her book Radical Candor 
I know mm-hmm. like she talked about in her company where in their weekly meetings, they would actually have that as part of their, uh, as part of their team meeting that they would have somebody or have people talk about what their failures were. And then, I don't know, I, I can't remember if there was a vote, but then they got, you know, this special award or stuffed animal <laughs> that they carried till the next week. And then, but they made it a team building event to talk about their failures. Mm-hmm. And I think the more that you can make that a normal thing, then and have people, because I think an innovation in business it requires creativity and risk-taking. And it, I know like earlier on in your career, it's kind of hard to make those judgment calls, but it's so important to get that develop that skill, I think, as early in your yeah. career as you can. I also, um, as you're talking about this, part of me is thinking that putting people on the spot, making them talk about something maybe they don't want to talk about or not ready to talk about, um, kind of blurs the line between work and a psychology session. So I think a lot of these HR programs or maybe work well in small environments or whatever, but I, I, I think that there's a lot of programs that maybe it was a good idea and and implementing it everywhere is probably a terrible idea. Yeah. Making people really uncomfortable about talking about things they just don't want to. And it, not everyone's an extrovert. A lot of mm. people are ambiverts or introverts or, you know, that, you know, you've, you've got to, I think also respect people's way of work and way of being. Yeah. And I think work, I think work has a work environments are notorious for violating people's beings and how they want to be. Mm -hmm. Um, No, I appreciate you brought that nuance up. Yes. It's very important to respect people and and where they're at and they're comfortable, you know, their ability to be comfortable in that situation. I would, I would hope anybody implementing that would, you know, allow people to choose to talk about something versus yeah. making people feel bad for not sharing. Like, yeah, yeah, there is a, there is a little bit of a balance there. Yeah. It's just, I think you talk with about corporate America all day long around the <laughs> programs that shouldn't exist. That's so true. That is very true. I would like to talk to you about the other side of the equation of failure and maybe it's not the exact opposite, but success. Mm-hmm. And have you always looked at success in the same way or earlier in your career, did you look at it a certain way and how has that evolved as you've reached where you're at? I think that's tough. I think that's a really hard question. I think the failure question is easier to think about than the <laughs> success question. Because what we, um, this goes back to like metrics, corporate metrics, right? So, and everybody's got metrics for what they're supposed to be doing in their specific job or whatever. And so you might be hitting all the metrics and feel miserable mm-hmm. and not know why. And so success, it's it's important to calibrate if you can. And I think it's harder to do earlier in your career than later that success isn't about the metrics of your job. Mm-hmm. Success is about what I think it's about is what am I learning? What am I doing that makes me happy or makes other people successful? Like this is one I like. I -hmm. like if you make other people, everyone around you successful, you always be successful. The culture of giving, the culture of sharing, the culture of, um, you know, inviting doors to open because you're a giver. So success, I think, as we've defined it in I'm hitting these metrics and I'm doing these things and I got this award and I went on this trip and these kinds of things um, kind of baked into our culture and it makes perfect sense why. But I think to ascribe your success to awards and those kinds of things can get people off track later in life. Yeah. 
because what happens, I've talked with plenty of executive women who are in this, you know, critical transition of, do I take another executive job? Do I start a company? What's my next thing? And they might have a complete wall of trophies and be totally unhappy and not know why. And I'm sure you've spoken with people like that too. It's like, wow, you've been so successful. Why are you so unhappy? This doesn't even make sense. And I think this goes back to success is about alignment with your value system. Yeah. And that's hard. That's real hard because a lot of times we might be doing work and the work is successful, but it doesn't match with our value system. Mm-hmm. And therefore, well, yeah, I made all this money and I've got all these trophies, but I don't feel like the work I've done is meaningful. And therefore, I don't feel successful. So the success question, I think, is a really hard question to answer because the metrics are something that is easy to point to. What's harder to point to is your growth journey that you're on and where you're going, where you want to go. Yeah, I can appreciate that. And one of the, we have an eight-week accelerator program and one of the weeks is operation strategy. We talk about, we talk about values and we talk about corporate values, but at the same time, I think it's so important for everybody to have set their own values. Like what, what do I believe is core to my feeling of success in life and who I want to be as a person. Yeah. And I think it's so important to go through that exercise for yourself as early in your career as you can to really guide your choices and your path. And so you don't end up where you, so you're more unlikely to be in a place <laughs> further in your career where you don't feel that happiness with all the perceived success that you, mm-hmm. you've obtained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and I think there's a bit, you know, of flexibility that people need to give themselves too, because taking a role, you know, going to a certain company because it's what you need to do at that time, that's okay. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's a permanent place. I had a, a manager, he's amazing. Just He was just the best mentor. And he said, you can do anything for two years. Hmm. Two years is a very, very short period of time. And a 40-year career, 45-year career, people are working now. The fastest growing workforce demographic is over the age of 65, if you can believe that. Yeah. So careers are longer and longer now. Mm-hmm. And two years is a blip on the radar. Do that. Get the skill you need get the experience, leave a great impression, you know, leave place better than you found it, make good relationships and keep going. Right. Yeah. And I, I love that you talked about, you know, focusing on the success of others and that brings success to you. And that's really like what this podcast, I mean, that's essentially what it's all about is providing experience and advice and inspiration to help lift others in their career. I I think that's so, that's so important to look for those opportunities yourself to, to elevate others, whether it's somebody that you work with or somebody outside of work. And Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's hard to find people who are genuinely have that mindset. Mm -hmm. I worked in so many hyper competitive environments and people stepping on each other up the ladder to the next place. And wait, I thought that person was a supporter and a mentor. And it turns out it was not what I thought it was. So I think there's a lot of, you know, that people go through all these people we meet on our career journey, identifying as early as possible, the givers, who's who's really going to be a supporter and, and can mentor with the, the right type of knowledge and experience and 
and versus people that are, I'm working with this person for now, we're working on a project, we're going to support each other, but not necessarily um, think of that person as someone that's long-term and people surprise you, you know, who becomes mentors and who you mm -hmm. thought might've been a mentor that turns out not to be. So again, like exercising flexibility and how we think about people that we meet along our journey is really important. Yeah, that's so true. And you mentioned before, I'm curious. So a lot of times life is moving at you fast and yeah. you're trying to get through the day and trying to manage a family. And how is it that you can recognize that you're not on the right path and you need to kind of switch the path that you're going on like it and maybe it goes back to I don't know if that makes sense but maybe it's how do you recognize personally that you are moving towards something that is not really aligned with your values or is not going to bring you where you need to be and that you need to make that shift you ask really hard questions. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> it can be very general. It just no, maybe some advice for people. But... Gosh, I'm in no position to give anybody advice. Oh, everybody so, is. Everybody you is. know, so, so let's start there. The only advice I can give is don't buy a $15 toaster. <laughs> um, I think we, um, our, our intuition is really powerful. You know, we know things. We know things. We sense things. We're, we're powerful beings. Our words are powerful. Our minds are powerful. How we manifest our future is powerful and how we intake the world and all of its complexity is powerful. And I think this informs, you know, our intuition, our gut, you know, what's your gut telling you? Mm -hmm. And there's going to be peaks and valleys and problems. That's actually the only guarantee is that there will be problems and be a lot of problems and they're going to come at you personally. They're going to come at you professionally and managing through and evening out the peaks and valleys by being very discerning, by choosing where we put our energy. Um, we can see the roller coaster and choose not to get on it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, oh, that's a roller coaster. I'm going to stand here on the platform. I'll watch it go around and I'm not going to get on it. And all yeah. these other people are getting on that roller coaster and I just don't want to. And so kind of putting your headspace in this, in this visual place of intentional um, choice of what we choose to spend our energy on and what we don't. I think that's really hard. That's really hard. So figuring out, am I in the right place or not? Am I doing the right things? Sometimes you've got to go through stuff to get to the other side of it. And so you should just hunker down and learn. Mm -hmm. um, or if you know what the outcome should be, the way you conduct yourself through that valley is also really important. And that's being very strategic about your choice of words, how you take care of yourself, your thoughts, being very guarding around what you choose to tell people and what you don't. So, you know, figuring out if you're in, in the right place or the wrong place, you know, one, like what's your intuition telling you about where you are? And then if you know you need to stay and you know what the outcome you want looks like, how do you do that in a way that is graceful? Mm -hmm. How do you do that in a way where you're going to learn something and it can take that to the next place? Yeah. So, I, so that was a great answer. <laughs> Thank you. And I imagine making that space, one of the things for various reasons, including something like this, I tell people is to make sure you have time blocked on your calendar every day to have just thinking time hmm. and allow yourself to ask yourself questions about where you're at. It could be related to work or personal, but if you don't give yourself that time and space, you don't know if you're on the right journey or not. And mm -hmm. that time really gives you the opportunity to ask the questions that you just kind of talked about and identifying if, if you're on, on the right path or if you need to make a change. Yeah. And, and going back to like keeping your eyes on your own paper, 
um, there's no right path. Hmm. There's no right path. Right. You know, it's the path that is, you know, one's own journey of growth and letting go and finding your own wisdom and then doing that in a way where um, you're not really, um, I guess, grading yourself mm-hmm. around where should I be and what should I be doing and all that. Because, I mean, it's that can be a lot of energy wasted. Um, it's good to plan for sure. But then having a lot of rigidity around, well, this wasn't part of my plan. The only thing that is guaranteed is that there will be disruption. Mm-hmm. And so making sure that you've got the space to um, be flexible about, well, that wasn't didn't work out how I had planned. And so I'm going to go to the next place and I'm going to do a new thing. And I'm going to take all this knowledge with me. And I'm going to start again. So I, I think we were talking a little bit about where should I be? You should be where you are. You should bloom where you're planted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Flexibility is so important. And yeah, like I love that bloom, bloom where you're planted. That's <laughs> you, you mentioned mentorship a little earlier. I'm curious, do you have a mentor that you can attribute some of your success in, in your career or or life to? Yeah, I've had, I've had a lot of mentors. I've been, I've been really lucky. Um, the mentors that I've had were, you know, really when I started my career, my mentor was one of the top executive 40 years into his career. So that was really interesting to pair up someone really young with someone who was really tenured in their career. I've had people that were paired up in that time frame where I shared with you, I took a job where it was a 0% outcome or a 200% mm-hmm. outcome. And I was paired with a mentor who was leading a failing business. And the business was failing because it was, you know, been in the red for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And she was, she was, she's a firecracker. The kinds of things that she would share with me about how to lead a business that is going to be failing until, you know, XX year when the revenue turns around because the company's acquired an acquisition, is building a new technology, those kinds of things. So there are people that might be mentors that you seek out for a season or a role that you're doing, or maybe you don't have a lot of experience leading a team that isn't set up for success, or you don't have experience starting a company or moving overseas and integrating into a new culture, you know, you know, so so mentors, I think about mentors as guides for a period of time, you know, and then there's some mentors that stay with you for a long time. And I think that's self-selection, self-choice kind of thing. I would caution people I know there's all this whole world of business coaching and mentors and things like that. And I would, I would caution people who are paying other people to mentor them that, that I know that's probably a whole area of the economy that exists, but that's not really how I think about mentoring. I think of mentoring is that you're intentionally spending time with someone that's a, you know, a, a choice between the two and you're, you're, you know, that's, you're, you're helping shape and guide someone that you care about, mm-hmm. help them on their path. At one point, and I don't know how this happened. I was mentoring five new working moms yeah. and I don't know, like, I think someone had, I think my daughter was 10 at the time and my son was five ish or so. And I look back on that period of time. It's like, I don't know how I did all that stuff. Like got on a plane, you know, went to another city, had some meetings, got home, picked the kids up from school and made dinner. It's like, I don't know how I did all that. 
it was kind mm-hmm. of a crazy period of time. You just do what you're supposed to do. Um, but um, I think people observed I was doing that and keeping that balance and keeping the stride. And um, I, I, they're like, hey, we think you should mentor this person. And hey, do you have some space to mentor this person? And I look up and it's like, oh, wow, I've got a bunch of working moms yeah. <laughs> who are all new moms trying to figure out how do I do this thing of of having this new child and and having all this responsibility of work and how do I balance my different roles and figuring out how to fight the right battles at the right time. And I can't mm-hmm. fight them all at the same time because I just, I'm one person. Yeah. Yeah. And I know as a mentor, you don't have, you don't necessarily have answers for everybody, but you can guide them through mm-hmm. their thought process and, and let them know that earth they're doing great <laughs> with what they're doing. But I think a lot of it is encouragement and letting people know that they are doing the right thing. Um, but at the same time, providing your experiences and your thoughts on how to, how to maybe look at things, mm-hmm. how to look at things versus like what to actually do. Yeah. I've, I, I'm not going to call this mentoring, but I shared that story with my mom about my mom and her, her death and dying journey and what a powerful thing that was to be able to implement her funeral and everything that she wanted exactly how she wanted. It was, it was super cool experience to be able to plan with her that way. Um, and I've had several people whose moms are dying or their dad has cancer or something like that. And they call me and they're like, Hey, what should I expect? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going through this thing. And, and so over the last year I have mentored people through their journey of their parents, you know, going through that. So, and, and even now, um, I was, I was born, my parents were older. So I always had the old parents when I was a kid, but my dad is 91. And so he's, he lives with me and um, my family and I'm a caregiver. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, that's also one of these topics that, you know, about seasons of life, there isn't a single person that's not going to be touched by caregiving, whether that's someone in their family or their direct parent or their spouse or whatever, you know, everybody will be touched by caregiving at some point. And so that's its own journey. That's its own journey between your personal life and your career and how you go about doing that. And you have a lot of really difficult choices. Now, I'm super lucky that my dad and I are so close and he's so healthy. He goes and works out twice a week. If you can believe that we had his birthday party in the metaverse this past summer. So we have really fun times and experiences together. So um, it's a really fun relationship, but I I know for a lot of people, um, that's, that's, it's, it's much more difficult. Um, So, you know, finding mentors who have been through these things, not necessarily people at work, but people you know in your life that can be mentors. We we tend to think about mentors in only the work context, you know, mentors yeah. that are maybe have gone through something similar who maybe are not part of your career life. That's always a good choice too. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're at time. Do you have a few more minutes? I could ask you a few more questions. Yeah, I do. Maybe I shorter. Do. Okay. I, I, I do. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about this from a higher level, but are there specific things that you do on a daily basis that you feel like you have to do to maintain your own mental or uh, personal well-being? Drinking coffee is really important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I have my coffee ritual in the morning. So I had to think about this. Like, what do I do day to day? Um, yeah, so I have my I have my morning routine that I like. My best deep thinking time is early. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that if I'm waking up and I've got energy, even if it's four in the morning or whatever, that's kind of my signal. Okay, go and do that deep work because... I think there's so many distractions throughout the day. We have the energy to sprint a little bit. Uh, I tend to be more introverted. I work from home. I like it. It's nice and quiet. But that deep thinking work that's an uninterrupted is is very important, I think, for self-care because while it's work, 
if I feel like things are too chaotic and things are piling up, I can't relax. So that's, that's one of the things is to kind of listen to, you know, what you need and, you know, again, back to flexibility, be flexible about what you need to take care of yourself. Now, for me, that looks like I got to have my house in order, figuratively speaking, or I get really stressed about, I've got too many things to do and I feel disorganized. Some of the other things being outside and, um, but that's recharging for me. And on the weekends, I, I love to cook. I cook pretty much all weekend, getting everything ready. I, I cook big and I freeze and I try to figure out how to cut steps. And I podcast at the same time. Like I've got my podcasts I like to listen to. And so that's my kind of getting back to the center is taking care of my family and, um, you know, doing something that I really enjoy. Do you have a favorite cuisine that you cook or do you try anything or not, not necessarily anything, but are you, do you like to explore? Yeah, of course I do. Yes. <laughs> so I, I had Indian food for the first time 10 years ago mm. and I was in Chicago. My husband took me there and he had a business meeting the next day. And so I went right back to that place. It was so good. And we've got a lot of grocery stores and places like that here in Dallas, Indian grocery stores. And so I bought myself a cookbook and was, you know, watching some shows and I'm a very, very good Indian cook now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's taken me a number of, of years to like really know my way around and be able to not use recipes. So that's my oh, wow. kind of my standard to like, I just know how to make things. And so I'm from an Italian family. And so my, my go-to is always Italian, but I like to smoke meats and I do all kinds of stuff and, hmm. you know, br why not brisket raviolis? Of course we should make those. So I, I really like to cook a lot and explore and um, my, my foray into making Indian food was kind of been my latest um, adventure that I, I go back to a lot. Do you have a signature dish for the in in the in, in Indian food? Not really. No. I I I really Rogan Josh is really good. My my daughter would say, "Mom, are you making the Josh?" <laughs> it's just, my kids love it too. So it's a yeah, nice. Well, do you have a song that you'll put on when you need a little confidence or energy boost? No, no. No, I, I really don't listen to music. That's a, so such a strange thing, but, um, I don't, um, what do I do? I, I, I like to go on walks. I, I've got two giant dogs, great Pyrenees dogs. I've got, in addition to the chickens, I've got birds and, um, a cat. And so I, I have any number of pets at any given time. I really love animals. So I like to spend t quiet, quiet time. Just yeah. kind of thinking and processing and all that overstimulation of the video calls and the noise and the all of it. I, I don't my my go to is not more noise. Yeah. I oh I, I appreciate that. I understand and thank you for, for that answer. You do I, I noticed that you did mention you'd listen to podcasts. Is there a favorite podcast that you listen to? Yeah. I like documentaries. Mm -hmm. I like documentaries. There's a podcast called business wars. I really like, mm, okay. um, so kind of, you know, how, how Uber and Airbnb and, you know, how they got started, um, things that are kind of more documentaries. I love bad blood, John Carreyrou's whole investigation, but Elizabeth Holmes was super interesting. There are these, this podcast, um, even the rich, it's kind of fun, but it's more of like these, these two girls started podcasting during the pandemic and they tell in a series, you know, true stories about famous people, the famous stories about families and individuals, people, Marilyn Monroe and her whole story. And they'll take you through like her life from when she was born to all of the I guess her transitions throughout her life. So there's, I really like that because they're, they're fun and silly and 
have great personalities. So I enjoy listening to them too. I guess I listen to a lot of podcasts. I didn't even realize <laughs> I like the last week in AI is hmm. the one I've been listening to. It's it's long. So that goes on on the weekends when I'm cooking, but it's pretty much a two hour show that's catching you up on everything that happened in artificial intelligence over the last week. That's and probably so a good one, yeah, to listen two, to. Two super nerd, nerdy guys. It's it's not it's not fun. It's not entertaining in that way. But you know, depending on what kind of space that you're in, where you want to continuously learn, I think podcasting is a great way to do that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I and I know this might not be a good question for you, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is there something that you bought in the last year, like a hundred dollars or less? And I know it's not going to be a toaster, but uh, <laughs> that, I was waiting that, for that has kind of changed the way you do things, your productivity uh, has improved your life in some way. Yes. A $20 subscription to GPT ah. um, plus. Yes, yeah. totally. $20 a month. I guess that's that's not really your question. Can I do it as a monthly? Yeah, answer? yeah, of course. That's that's a great answer. <laughs> it's a perfect answer. And I I agree. I think it's definitely worth paying for the, the chat GPT four. And like well, I don't yeah, they didn't upgrade that yet, but it I, I rely on that a lot <laughs> for many different yeah, things. Totally. Yeah. So I, I think I think the way that you think about that, those very easy buys it that I'm like, I didn't realize that this would impact my life so much, but it mm-hmm. it really has like thinking about things like that is, is really good. Of course I need a good coffee pot, but I don't want the $250 coffee pot that emails me when it's ready. I don't need that. <laughs> I don't want anything that beeps, you know? So agree. Yeah, that's I agree. trying to find my balance between the, the things that don't work well by design, like the $15 toaster versus the things that are just really have a lot of overkill and just, they just need to do their job and be a coffee pot. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And it, it turns out a lot of times when they add all the bells and whistles and things you don't need, it just makes it too complex and it breaks down mm-hmm. faster. So it's just, yeah, just sometimes you just need something basic. Um, is there a book that you have read that has made an impact on your career that you would maybe recommend to the audience? I'll, I'll share a secret with you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't like business books. Uh, okay. I think they're totally boring and I really don't yeah. like them. They can be. Yes. <laughs> I shouldn't be <laughs> saying so that true. as a business person, but I just really don't like business books. I, I love, there's a book I read. I've read it four times. It's the pillars of the earth. So they can, can follow it. Uh, are you familiar with it? It's been, I, yeah, I read it a long time ago. It's, yeah. it's an older book. It yeah. is. It's an old book. I've got a, I got a signed copy. I love this book because I love the character development. I love how long the story is. I like how the characters are under pressure and they go through their own seasons of life and find the resilience. I love Alina and our ability to overcome adversity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, I love that story. I think it's a really amazing story. It's, it is my favorite book. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to pull that back out and take a relook at that. It's, I have to say it's been probably over 20 years ago. Yeah. Is it that, is it that old? I don't know. I Maybe think it I'm, is. I think it yeah. is that old. It is. I get it out every number of years and it's, it's a, you know, kind of by the fire so I really yeah. love that book. There are just uh, some books that are just timeless. But So thank you, Elizabeth, for your time. And you are now part of our audience's Hype Squad. And as part of their Hype Squad, is there one final piece of advice that you would leave everybody with before we end the conversation? Yeah, I would tell people that um, you know more than you think you do. Mm-hmm. You know, to to, to really pay attention to your intuition. And when you see a red flag, kind of put that in your memory as a piece of information to uh, kind of use as your overall uh, critical decision-making, trusting your gut and, and trusting yourself really. Yeah. 
I totally agree. So it was great, great words of advice to end our conversation on. And if anybody wants to reach out to you or find you on social media, by email, is there a good place they can find you? One, is it okay to look you up? And if so, what what's the best way? LinkedIn is the, the best way to, to find me. If I'm, I'm there, my company's there. I do a lot of writing and publishing a lot of papers and around the area of work that I do, which is uh, revenue. I've been a go-to-market accelerator. Um, that's an AI first company. So I'm really exploring the edges of the emerging tech that's out there and how it applies to us in our work. Yeah. All very important stuff that I think everybody should be aware of and, and be looking at. So well, thank you, Elizabeth, again. I really appreciate your time and for sharing everything that you've shared and your vulnerability. It was very insightful and I think very helpful to the people listening. So I appreciate everything. Thank you so much, Michelle. It's been great. Yeah, we'll talk with you soon. Have a great day. All right, bye. Bye. Hi, everyone. This is Michelle again. If you enjoyed this conversation, hit subscribe so you don't miss out on our weekly episodes. And if you're really feeling it, please leave a review. We'd love to have your support. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we share things we're excited about, things we found funny or inspiring, and must-read leadership videos and articles we came across that week. You can subscribe by going to www.thebosstrack.com forward slash weekly joy. That's www.thebosstrack.com forward slash weekly joy. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.